0: Welcome to John Longwell Media, creative multimedia including music, inspirational messages, and audio prose. Today's message is entitled, In Due Season, recorded on September 24th, 2018, at Revive Church in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, where John serves as a teaching pastor. I pray you will be blessed by the message as you listen. Here now is John Longwell. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. All right. Does everybody have a bulletin? All right. Um, I'm gonna. I just want you to refer to the verse that we're going to be looking at today. Um, let's go ahead and open in prayer. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this opportunity that we have to um, just get into your word. Um, Lord God, your word renews us; it transforms us, and we want to take this opportunity today. We don't want to look upon it lightly knowing that truly there are things in our lives that can change today, this morning, if we would be open and available to the move of your Spirit. Lord, we pray for that wisdom and discernment, that, that our eyes would be able to see things that we've not yet seen, um, to see things specific as it relates to our own lives. So, Father God, may I decrease, may your word increase, and Holy Spirit, we invite your presence in this place. In Jesus' name. Is anybody in here waiting on something? I mean, not just for the sermon to get over for kickoff, but... Um, Anybody waiting on something? Have you been waiting long? Sometimes? Yeah. <laughs> um, we're going to be touching on a scripture today, Galatians 6, 9. Um, if you see it in your, uh, in your bulletin there, I'd like you to read along with me. Um, Let us not grow weary, everyone. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Now, there's, the scripture is going to come up a few times in the message, and I want us to, to recite it together, because this is one of those power verses that can really, if you embed it into your heart and into your mind, and have that recall, I, I, I'm honest and I'm true when I say that it will transform a situation that you're dealing with. Now, sometimes being a Christian is like being a little kid. As a kid, we would ask our parents, Mom, can we go to the park? And mom's busy doing stuff and doesn't really have time or it's scheduled in her day to take the kid to the park. So what does she say? We'll see. Which basically is not a yes. It's not a no. Feels more like a no if you're a kid. And yet sometimes we ask God questions. We, we ask God, God, how long until X, fill in the blank, is going to come to pass? And instead of giving us a yes or a no or a specific time, God gives us this response in due season, just like our let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. Well, what does that mean? Is that today? Is that next week, next month, next year? Can you be a little bit more specific, God, please? Amen. Um, we, we can see in due season in, in another scripture in Psalm 145 15, it says, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season, and the NIV in due season is actually at the proper time. So this means at a time that is natural and fitting, just when you would expect it to happen. Now, in this particular verse in Psalms, it says, "'The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food, in due season, in this context, it's actually talking about harvest season. So I grew up in Iowa, and so um, I'm very familiar with the the rotation of the seasons with planting and harvesting and all that kind of stuff. So harvest season is about two to three weeks, and depending on what the crop is, it comes summer summer harvest, summer, fall harvest, but usually it's about a two to three week period of time. Now, depending on the rain, depending on the, the climate that you've had, sometimes harvest season is early, if it's been a little drier sometimes harvest season is late but it usually falls within a specific time frame and so it is something that we can grow to expect simply from that experience now a season is a period of time marked by something specific we just had a changing of our seasons fall was on Friday and so we have fall and winter and spring and summer and they're called a season We talk about going through dark and difficult seasons in life and you can have a conversation with someone and go, man, I've just really been going through a dark season. And we can all relate to that. We, we understand that we've probably had similar difficult circumstances in our own life. And we're like, yeah, it's like, man, you just can't wait to get out of that season because it seems like everything is at a standstill. You can't even move beyond anything in life. Nothing new happens until you're able to bring resolution to that season. And even in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, very familiar um, bit of scripture, set at a lot of weddings, um, it describes many of these seasons. It says, for everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up. and a time for peace but in all of these seasons God is Lord of all the seasons now i i'm thankful that the scripture has given us such description on these seasons because sometimes as christians we kind of go through life with an expectation that I need to grin and bear it. I need to show a a positive outlook on this because I'm a Christian and I'm supposed to be happy and I'm supposed to be filled with joy. And yet God has given us license to experience the fullness of every single season, whether good, whether bad, whether hateful. I mean, we've got everything in there from gathering stones to declaring war. And so God is saying that in all of life, there is a season for every single thing. And the biggest thing that we want to remember in all is that God is Lord of those seasons and to look to God in the midst of whatever season we're in. So in our scripture, Galatians 6, 9, it's our opportunity to say this together again, all right? And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Now the hurdle here is growing weary of doing good to the point of giving up. Now, first of all, this assumes that we're doing good, or we're at least trying to do good. Everybody trying to do good? You don't have to raise your hand. Um, I want to ask that question publicly. But it's a fair question to ask ourselves. Are we living our lives in such a way where righteous living matters? It's so easy for us to just kind of go with the flow. The flow is right outside of this door. It's, It's in your workplace, it's at your school, sometimes even in your own home. And, you know, we kind of just, we're, we're this person here, we clean up the language a little bit for Sunday morning, and I want to let everybody to know how much I really cuss when I'm not at church, you know? You know, or whatever those things are that we deal with, and yet God is saying, righteous living matters. But sometimes we want to ask ourselves, what's the point? Why does righteous living matter? We're going to answer that why question as we get into the sermon today. Okay, so let's assume that we're all trying to live a godly life. But man, it can get a little tiring. But I think there's a scripture for that. What is that? Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Now he's saying, now he's not saying it's wrong to grow weary. That would be silly. He's like, okay, now go run a marathon, but don't get tired. (laughs) He says, but don't grow weary to the point of giving up. He knows that there's, a physical, that there's a physical toll to life's difficulties. God is just offering us a different perspective. He says, balance your perspective on how hard things are by remembering that in due season, at just the right time, we will reap. And the NIV adds to that, we will reap a harvest. Now, reap means to be rewarded because of the fruits of our labor or receive the consequences. Now, in this Context, consequences is good. So a lot of times we hear consequences we think of negative, but he's saying you will reap the benefits. So in short, the point here is don't give up. Even though I'm so tired, I could really use a personal day. How many of you have now used your sick days as personal days? I'm not really sick. I find that whenever I use a personal day for a sick day, I usually get sick. In fact, I did that this week, I'm sorry to say. I was like, I don't know. I'm so tired. And then I had a stomachache. I was really bad. <laughs> so the key is not giving up to maintain a better outlook on our circumstances, which can actually save your life. In fact, you read all kinds of stories throughout history. There's people, there's the Baton Death March. Um, A lot of people had the same physical endurance level, but mentally they were different. And those people that did not have the physical and mental endurance level would not survive. And um, I'd like to share a story of a man named Coolidge Winesett. He's a 75 year old man. He's from Virginia and he lived in a really old house. In fact, it had no indoor plumbing. And so he went outside one day to the outhouse. Everybody know what an outhouse is? It's that little place. It's a little tiny house and it has a toilet seat or two. And it has a big pit dug under it where all of your business goes. So he stepped inside of his outhouse and he fell through the floor because the boards were so rotten. A little bit of background in Mr. Coolidge Wineset. He only had one leg. His, one of his legs had been amputated A few weeks earlier, he had had a stroke, and so only one of his arms was working. So he's got one leg and one functioning arm. He's fallen about four feet through this rotten floor, and he's now unable to pull himself out. And so he's there, and he's stuck, and he's about waist high in the stuff that's down there. And um, we won't get too graphic, but you probably have a mental picture as it is. Um, and so he's there, and he's crying out for help, and he can't do anything, and he's no food, no water. And um, so he night, night falls, and he tries to go to sleep, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, he starts feeling this horrible pain. Rats are chewing on him. And so now he's there. He can't eat. He can't sleep. He can't even rest because he's defending himself. The next day comes, and he's getting weaker and weaker. And then the next nightfall comes. And then the next day comes, and at this point, we all would probably be ready to give up. For three days, he stays in this situation, and finally on the third day, the mailman comes by, and he thinks, Coolidge thinks he hears something, so he cries out in a, in a small, weak, faint voice, and the mailman does hear him, and he's able to be rescued. He maintains some sort of a positive outlook in a really crappy situation, literally. <laughs> And I didn't, that is a real stride. I didn't just tell you that just to say that stupid joke. Um, where do we find our courage to overcome? Is it just a matter of the yang finally balancing the yang? Most people outside of church believe in good fortune. They think that their lucky break is just around the corner. And statistics will show that this is true because lottery sales are the highest in the areas of cities where poverty is also the highest. And yet a simple savings account over time would yield thousands of dollars more than a single win on a scratcher that most people would ever win over their lifetime. Now, as Christians, our hope does not rest in inanimate objects or good luck, thank you, Jesus, but in a living God, a God who has our best interests in mind and who knows your situation even better than what you do. He is actually pulling for us and encouraging us all along the way. In fact, this scripture, Galatians 6, 9, is God's cheer for us. Let's say it together with a little bit more fervency. Almost hearing the voice of God cheer us on. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Amen. Allow that to wash over you. Last week, Pastor Sean preached about fighting the fight of faith. He said we can pursue after godliness and righteousness out of duty or delight. This is also about the outlook or perspective we choose to adopt. When we obey out of a sense of duty, usually it's because someone has authority over us. If we're in the military, it's a commander. If we're at work, it's our boss. If we're at school, it's our teacher. If it's in marriage, it's our wife. (laughs) Often, we have no other choice, or the option is usually worse than just doing our duty. I will take out the garbage, and then you will make me dinner. When God tells us to obey, no matter how hard it is, it's really his loving kindness in action. And man, that's hard to believe when we're going through that that trial that is wearing us out. See, God's commands are black and white, but more specifically, they're about light and darkness You see, God desires to maintain an unbroken fellowship with us, to be in relationship with us. I always think of the relationship that God originally intended for us when you read in Genesis about how God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. And this is I love I love fall. In fact, um, now it's like when I take my walks in the evening, it's the cool of the day. It's not just that searing heat that's finally you know you know dissipating a little bit. It's like I was out the other night. I was like, oh, this is nice. I might need a jacket tomorrow. This is great. And um, so I always think of that wonderful unbroken fellowship that God first had with us before sin came on the scene. And so God is like, I want that back. Even when our, our um, relationship with God was severed, God was like, I want that fellowship and that relationship back. That's what God's desire is. And you see, this is his answer to the why we do what we do question. God says, I've given you these instructions. I've given you these commands that you would live righteously because I hope that you too have the same desire to have an unbroken fellowship with me that I do with you. You see, Jesus solved the sin or separation problem that we had with God. And when we accept what Jesus did on our our behalf, we are applying that antidote that he secured for us to that poison of sin. You see, unresolved sin would eventually kill us and cut us off for eternity from a relationship with God. But God is black and white because sin is darkness and he is light. And he cannot dwell where darkness is. And so when we begin to dwell in areas of our life where there is darkness, guess what? God has no fellowship with us in that. And so it's not that God is angry with us. He's saying, no, I want you to open to your eyes to the fact that you're in darkness. And if you're in darkness, I can't have fellowship with you in that place. I want you to open your eyes and see the darkness. Allow that light of truth to penetrate the darkness so that you would be taken out of that darkness and into the light that our fellowship would be restored. You see, our daily struggle that makes us so weary is the fight against the forces in this world that want to drag us down into darkness so that we no longer relate to God. 1 Timothy 6.12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you were made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You see, in the end, we are fighting to preserve our relationship with God. And God empowers us to overcome. In 1 John 4, verse 4, it says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 1 John 5, 4-5 through says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. We overcome through faith. Our faith is in god 's word and his promise, in that scripture that we read in psalm psalm one forty five fifteen it says, "The eyes of all look to you, and the amplified version adds in hopeful expectation, and you give them their food in due season or at the proper time. you see it's this hopeful expectation in is faith in God's promises coming to pass it's like even though that the the rain has been sparse. And they know that now is about the time that they had harvest last year they're looking to God to provide that harvest and he does God will come through for us at just the right time now there are three things about God that allow our faith to flourish the first is that God is able the second is God is trustworthy and the third is God is for us God's abilities are not in question and I'd like to exemplify that um, by a little story in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. A little bit of background. Now, Daniel, he's a young man of God and he's in Babylonian captivity. He's a Jew. And uh, King Nebuchadnezzar is the wicked king in Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And it's this complex dream and he wants an interpretation. So he goes to one of his magicians and he asks for them to interpret the dream. And none of them can provide an interpretation. Well, Nebuchadnezzar says, I have no use for you. I'm going to pass an edict across my kingdom that all of you magicians are going to be killed. Well, Daniel, he's a, he's a man of God. He operates in dreams and wisdoms and interpretation and that. And so he's on the list to be killed. And so those from King Nebuchadnezzar's court, his murderers, his executioners are going to come and kill him and he's like, "Whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. God will provide an interpretation to this." And he's confident. But now he's got he's waiting on he's got something that he's waiting on. God had better come through and provide this interpretation. So let's pick this up in chapter 20 of Daniel 2. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. We see that God is God of seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in darkness, and the the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. So we see in this situation that God did give him that interpretation, but that was that was something that he was expecting upon God. He had to believe that by faith that God was going to provide that interpretation and and he waited upon God and God came through. Now God is trustworthy. He will do what he promised. In Psalm verse nine, chapter 9 verse 10, those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. God is for us. He will do what is best for us in the time That is best for us. You see, God tells us in due season and not that it will happen at 1030 on October 7th, on the day that I was born, because this would then be our focus. You see, this knowledge would be disastrous for us. It would interfere with our relationship with God. Think think of how your perspective on your entire life would change if you knew the very day and hour that you would die. I mean, for some of us, it might be good because then we would start taking care of business. But yet we should be living every day in the light of eternity, in the light that this is a gift that I've been given. I should make the most of it. I should ask God what it means to make the most of it. Um, I I had a great conversation with Jamie last night, and we were talking about how there's two ways to look at life. You can look at it in the light of the infinite, or you can look at it in the light of the finite. And when you look at it in the light of the infinite, it's just like Moses who um, led his people out of Egypt in their captivity, led them through the 40 years in the wilderness, and he prepared them to go in to take the promised land. But because some of the things that Moses had done, God did not allow Moses to enter the promised land. At the very end of his life, he took him to to a high mountain, and he had him look into the promised land, and it was upon that mountain that he died. And we think, man, Moses was robbed. He, he did all of this hard work and there was never a payoff at the very end. But Moses lived his, his life in the light of the infinite. He knew that he had already prepared Joshua to go in and take um, his people into that land. And I think that if we will live our lives in such a manner, it will transform even our relationships. Because sometimes I think we put an expectation on people in our lives, especially that are significant to us. And we're like, okay, buddy, you got a, you're on the clock here. We got some things that need to come to pass and they better come to pass pretty quick. And not to say that, that there aren't certain things that we, we should be working to make better. But in the end, we have a finite life that we're living. And we're, we're so goal oriented that it's like, man, if I don't meet my goals, what's going to happen? Are you going to die? Are you not going to be able to eat? These goals should be in line with God's plans and purposes for our lives. I think it will relieve a tremendous amount of pressure that we put upon ourselves. We wouldn't have so much regret about, oh, I'm a failure. Why are you a failure? I think we need to start living life in the light of eternity and looking at the people around us and going, how is your eternity affected by the way that I'm living my life? Um, there's, a, you know, there's the gospel that needs to be preached to everyone in the world to have an opportunity to come to know the Lord. And each one of us is a light, is a torch bearer, And if we would simply allow that light to shine in their lives, if every Christian in the world allowed their light to shine in such a way that it crossed over every other light, then guess what? Every part of the world would be penetrated. All of the areas of darkness would be penetrated and the gospel would be preached so that no person would never not have an opportunity to hear the good news. That's, I think, more of something that's living in the light of, a, of eternity that doesn't worry about these finite goals of, oh, my 401k isn't where I wanted it to be. I mean, I was when I had first started building a 401k, I was so excited, and then 2008 happened, and literally half of the money that I had invested was gone. And I was like, well, that's kind of a crapshoot. You know, it just, it seemed like such a robbery, and yet that's the world in which we live in. There are no promises, and yet if we will live discerningly and ask God for wisdom each and every day, he will help us to make the most of our time to make the most of our day. Now, are there any Trekkies in the house? Anybody know what a Trekkie is? His time passed, nobody? No, a Trekkie is a Star Trek fan. Star Trek is kind of an older sci-fi movie. And if you're a Star Trek fan, you know what the Star Trek Prime Directive was. They were given a Prime Directive, which was that as... Now, Star Trek, they were this spaceship that was out there exploring the universe. And if they came across an alien race, the Prime Directed for, forbade them from interfering with this alien race in such a way that would impede the way that they would develop. And that even meant that if this alien race was out there killing each other and they were going to be extinct... They couldn't interfere with that because that would break the prime directive. God also has a prime directive, and that is to safeguard our relationship with him. We should ask ourselves, is what I'm doing helping or hindering my ability to relate to God? About 10 years ago, there was uh, the bracelets that everybody had, the WWJD, what would Jesus do? So if I'm I'm going to make a new bracelet, and it's going to have this phrase on it. Um, It's going to actually have the acronyms for this phrase. Is what I'm doing helping or hindering my ability to relate to God? So my bracelet's going to have an I-W-I-D-H-O-H-M-A-T-R-T-G. And people are going to look at that, and you're going to be able to say, is what I'm doing helping or hindering my ability to relate to God? We're going to start selling (laughs) <laughs> okay, so answering this will help us understand God's heart for us and why we're struggling. You see, God is willing to compromise our comfort if it preserves or enhances our ability to relate to him. Not every struggle we have is against darkness. Amen. Sometimes we wrestle with God. Amen. See, God's love for us is stubborn and strong because he's unwilling to let anything interfere with our relationship with him. God's love guards our fellowship jealously. And this love is hard to see when we are struggling and growing tired, but it's why God cheers us on. And he says, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. No, I'm gonna have the worship team come up. We're gonna end with one song. One of the things that I wanted to, to share with you, and this was kind of a, a little, I guess, a foundational insight that God had put upon my heart. There's, we, we know that we deal with an enemy, a real live enemy, not just some made-up imaginary dragon or demon or devil. It's, he's real. He's got a campaign, and he wages that campaign against us. And I'm, not, and I'm not saying that to scare people or to, to be you know, overly creative. I'm, I'm saying that because there are certain times in our lives that we don't take the battle seriously. That we don't fortify our lives in such a way that makes us stronger. But I can guarantee you that any time that we're lax, the enemy seeks an opportunity to come in, to subtly come in and try to take ground. Think about it in in the sense of a war. If, you know, we had certain soldiers that were on a ridge and they were there and their only assignment was to guard that ridge so that the enemy didn't come past that point and come into their, their territory. If for some reason they were just out there playing volleyball and they just all had their guns, you know, leaning up next to a tree and they just let whoever come in without checking them to see who they were the enemy could slowly come in and infiltrate their territory. Now, I say that because the enemy just isn't interested in causing dissension, causing arguments. He's interested in absolute destruction. And that's why we see so often in the church that when troubles arise, they absolutely demolish a body sometimes. Sometimes some of the worst, in fact, I think some of the worst Um, relational breakups that I've ever seen have been in churches. And it's not without reason. It's because the enemy has a design. He's not just interested in. And so I want to present it to you in this way. If you have a friend, if you're married, if you have somebody significant in your life and you have an argument with that person, you have an argument, but you have a conversation where you share your side and they share their side. But at the end of the day, you hope that in a week from that time, you're still in relationship correct? You don't approach it in such the way that says, I don't care about you. I'm going to say whatever it is that I'm, you, you let both barrels just fly to the point where it's like, after the fact in a week's time, there's no more relationship left because everything that you launched from your side was so destructive that it can't be taken back. That's the way the enemy approaches us when it comes to our relationship with God. He says, I, and he sometimes twists and warps the things that we see of God so that we misinterpret God's heart for us. And to, to the degree that he goes, you should even have a relationship with God. That's stupid. He doesn't have your best interests in mind. You can't trust him. Why should you put your faith in him? He's not able to do anything that, that is good for you. That's the essence of the enemy's campaign against us, and that's why God is so—he's so passionate about making sure that we understand that and that we see things in the true light, because He knows that the enemy is out—is out for blood and He's out for death. And so, as we go forward today, um, I'm going to ask uh, Phil if you could be available for prayer this morning. Um, if you have any prayer needs, if you're waiting upon something. If you're struggling and you're weary and you're about ready to give up, come up and get prayer. Let's go ahead and just close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you tell us the truth. We thank you that you don't uh, you don't hold anything back that we can uh, that we see it all that so that we can understand clearly what it is that we're dealing with. We thank you that uh, our eyes are opened or have an opportunity to be open today about this truth, about this reality. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that even though we grow weary, Lord Jesus, there is a balance that you say that we're gonna reap if we'll just not give up. If we just hang in there a little bit longer, don't grow weary, don't lose heart, that in that due season, Father God, we will reap a harvest. We thank you for these things, Father, and we give you glory in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this inspirational message. Please email questions, comments, and booking information for John to mail at johnlongwell.com to see the full range of creative works, including books, inspirational messages, music, art, and web development content please log on to www.johnlongwell.com. Thank you for listening, and may God's blessings be yours in abundance.